Welcome to podcast time, bitch! <laughs> god, that was terrible. Dear god, that was awful. Anyway, hello and welcome to Here's Johnny's Reviews and the summer hits of 87, 97 and 2007. My look at Dream Warriors, I know he did last summer, Batman Robin and The Mist. First up, we have arguably the best of the Nightmare franchise, in Nightmare Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. Coming out 30 years ago and two years after the misfire that was Freddy's revenge, this introduces us to the jokester Freddy, which ultimately led to Freddy's downfall, but let's not dwell on that. This also brought back Wes Craven and half the original crew, as Wes Craven thought there was no more stories for Freddy to do until the huge success, or mild success rather, or mediocre success, of Nightmare on Street 2 and he saw Dawson in his eyes and came back. Unfortunately, most of Wes Craven's ideas were out there to say the least and too costly, so some of his ideas weren't used until 1994's New Nightmare. And I will say, that movie gets a lot of hate, however, I liked it to a point. Now, Halloween may be my favourite horror movie, but A Nightmare on Elm Street was my first horror movie I ever watched, start to finish, so Freddy has a special place in my heart. In fact, I have met Robert England twice, and he's a really nice guy and very chatty. Anyway, let's find out why this $4.5 million budget movie made $44.7 million in America alone. Are you ready for Freddy? Starring Heather Langenkamp, Patricia Arquette, Lawrence Fishburne, John Saxon, and Robert England, directed by Chuck Russell. The plot, teenagers of Elm Street must learn to use their dream powers against the dream stalker Freddy Krueger. Can Nancy Thompson teach the survivors of Elm Street to use their dream powers before it's too late for them and indeed her? So the movie opens up on a new line cinema logo that won't give you an epileptic fit looking at you Nightmare 1. Then onto a quote from Edgar Allan Poe, sleep, those little slices of death, how I loathe them. Then on to Kirsten Parker, played by Patricia Arquette of Medium, Stigmata, True Romance, and her Oscar-winning role in Boyhood, as she's making Nancy's house not Freddy's house. I never got why everyone made such a big thing about Nancy's house, because this was not Freddy's house, as it is shown in Freddy's Dead. I guess this is the house, this became Freddy's house, because this was the first time he was beaten in. Anyway, Kirsten is making this house out of paper mache and lollipop sticks while chowing down on raw instant coffee and diet coke while blasting a bad 80s hair metal because that's what all sleep depraved teens love to do is craft work at one something in the morning. Anyway, in walks her mother Elaine played by Brooke Bundy to scold her daughter for waking up for her and blasting bad hair metal. Then she tucks her into bed and doesn't listen to her concerns over her nightmares, instead only interested in her date, the absolute floozy. With that, Kirsten instantly falls asleep and yeah, because all that caffeine and coffee and sugar wouldn't keep her up at all then, hmm. As she stares sleepily at the half-built house, she falls asleep and instantly taking outside the house where She's awakened by little girls skipping and singing the jump rock song. You know, one, two, Freddy's coming for you, etc, etc. She then focuses on a little girl on a red trike, tricycle that is, and follows her into the dream house, following her down to the boiler room and suddenly the front door slams shut and the boiler sparks a light as Freddy's home. With that, Kirsten scoops up the little girl and runs throughout the house and gotta say this house is fucking huge. As Freddy gives chase, Kirsten is stuck in tar and Bella gets away from Freddy's claws. 
Ashy Burley gets away, she runs down a hallway with bleeding walls, into a room of hanging teenagers, then the little girl asks to be let down, as Kirsten looks down, she sees she's a pile of burned bones. This snaps her out of her dream, or does it? As she walks into her bathroom, Freddy appears in the mirror and slashes her wrist. See, Freddy has a plan for this movie, make it look like all the teenagers have committed suicide, and this works up to a point. Just then, Kirsten's mother walks in, finding Kirsten splitting blood from her nasty slash on her wrist, and a razor blade in her other hand. Cut to Weston Hills Psychiatric Hospital. And we meet good orderly Max, played by Lawrence Fishburne, star of What's Love Got To Do With The Tian Turner Story, Predators and The Matrix, as he's going around a cart full of drugs. Now, I worked in a mental hospital, and this is something that would never happen. Anyway, on his radio, we hear that two more teens have apparently committed suicide the night before. And my lord, Freddy has been busy. This takes place in 1990, the same time as Freddy's revenge. So, he's been taking on Jesse and his struggle with sexuality, while dealing with Nancy, Kirsten and the rest of the Dream Warriors. Also killing teens off screen, my lord, talk about no rest for the wicked. During Maxie's rounds, uh, he bumps into Dr. Neil Gordon, played by Craig Wasson, star of the Bug Nuts Ghost Story, 1981 where he swan dives out a window but naked. Anyway, moving on. Max thinks all these teen suicides come from the fact their parents dropped acid in his 60s. Which would be true because these people should be in their 20s, not teens. Moving on. Then we are introduced to the quote survivors. Taryn, played by Jennifer Rubin, who apparently got letters from teenagers saying they gave up drugs after they watched her death at the hands of Freddy. She plays a stoner burnout who should be in her mid to late 20s, not early teens. And this is supposed to be 1990. Hmm, still, she's wearing flannel and has a rock and roll t-shirt on, so that kind of fits. We are then introduced to peppy wannabe TV star Jennifer, played by Penelope Sudrow, as we find out she's been self-harming using cigarette burns to stay awake. And I should say, this was a hot topic button for the 80s, and this caused some scandal, because teen suicide was on a rise throughout the 80s, and this movie helped to highlight this issue. On to talking black guy Kincaid, played by Ken Sargos. This is sadly stereotyped angry black man, as he's inside the quiet room, aka a padded cell. Then we meet Nurse Cratchit of this movie, because Wes Craven based this off of one for the cuckoo's nest. Dr. Sims, played by Patricia Pointer, star of Karen in 1976, and Blue Velvet, also the bug nuts of Mommy Dearest, the drone covered story. That's Joan Crawford story. She thinks she knows best for these kids, but ultimately she is just killing them. Dr. Gordon then talks about some hotshot grad student, which Dr. Sims talks up, saying she's been working with dream pattern nightmares. Dream pattern nightmares? Pattern nightmares. Just then, they're called to deal with Kirsten, as her rich bitch mother tells a nurse she's only doing this for attention. Yeah, love, because your only daughter has slashed her red wrists deep enough in order to require dozens of stitches, and this is only for attention. Jesus Christ, what a complete utter bitch. And, ah, uh, the scream of Patricia Arquette. I wonder if this was the only reason why she was hired. Her scream goes right bloody well through me. So in the examination room, Dr. Gordon tries to give her something to calm her down and make her sleep. However, Kirsten grabs a scalpel and slashes one of the orderly's arms until Nancy Thompson, played once again by Heather Langenkamp in the role that made her famous, walks in finishing Kirsten jump rope song. But wait, I thought she died at the end of Nightmare 1 and or was bug nuts as it said 
in Nightmare 2, she went completely doolally and was locked up for her own good. So this makes me think this is actually Nancy's nightmare, not Kirsten, and it is all the fact that Nancy is locked up in Western Hills somewhere, and this is all her nightmare. This instantly gains Kirsten's trust, and I forgot the Nancy haircut with the fashionable grey streak and back coming for days. How very 90s. No, it's very 1987. Later that day, we see Nancy and Dr. Gordon bond as he tells her the kids are all survivors and they all have sleep problems and all have the same nightmare of some boogeyman. He also tells her that a teen cut off his eyelids to stay awake and this happened in real life and was one of the reasons why Wes Craven wrote A Nightmare on Elm Street in the first place, stories about sleep-deprived refugee teens from the 70s. He then asks her about the song. It's here she drops her purse and Dr. Gordon picks up the bottle of Hypnocell, a made-up experimental drug that stops you from dreaming, which is impossible. The brain has to dream or you will go completely bug nuts. She also tells him she has experience in pattern nightmares and indeed dreams. Yeah, because using a mental drug is a great way to keep Freddy at bay, love. Mm. Again, this is a nightmare, her nightmare, and it's all in her head as she's locked up in Western Hills somewhere. It's here Dr. Gordon first sees the old white nun, who vanishes as the piano theme plays. Later that day, we see Max giving Nancy the quote 25 cents tour, and we are introduced to more of the survivors. Philip, played by Bradley Gregg, who later went on to star in the 1993 alien adoption movie Fire in the Sky, he plays puppet maker and sleepwalker, important for later on in this movie. We then meet Mute Joey, played by Rodney Eastman, who weirdly has a teardrop tattoo on his face. Wait, does that mean he's actually killed somebody in prison? Hmm. Anyway, he's sweet on hot nurse Marcy, played by Stacey Aldrin. But more on her later, as Joey is caught blocked by a cocky orderly. On to Nancy investigating Kirsten's home and trying to talk to her rich bitch socialite mother as she signs Kirsten into a psychiatric ward. After getting nowhere with her, she checks out Kirsten's room and it's here she finds the paper mache house, which she takes home with her creepily. On to Dr. Gordon using his pre-Windows 1987 computer to look up Hypnocell on the internet in 1990? I don't think so. That night, while sketching the dream house, Kirsten falls asleep and has a nightmare where we finally see Freddy, played by Robert England, in a role that made him infamous as in rides the same red trike from the start of the movie, except it's trailing a blood, and melts as soon as Kirsten touches it. Boom! She's in the nightmare house with the infamous burned pig jump scare. Note, this was a real cooked pig, and that was the director under a table puppeting the creature because this was done last minute, as a scene was going to be cut because the puppet pig would have cost $2,000, to build and a single shot at 2am. So Kirsten explores the house and is attacked by Freddy's penis, oh sorry, snake, in an to Beetlejuice, which Wes Craven was supposed to direct before getting handed over to Tim Burton. Anyway, the Freddy snake tries to eat her, so she pulls Nancy into her dream and to fight off the huge Freddy snake. As both awake, Nancy finds a cut on her hand from a mirror shard she stabbed Freddy in the eye with. Note, this was almost cut due to the fact that from certain angles, this Freddy snake looks like a huge penis. So the prop guys had to repaint and splash over it with goo to make it look like a snake and not a penis, in order for this thing to be kept in the movie. So, the next morning, Nancy shows Kirsten the half-finished dream house, 
and tell Harshness to live in that house. I then asked her about her dream power with Kirsten saying she had it when she was a little kid and would pull her father into her dreams or nightmares rather in order to make the dreams more better. During a group session we meet the final kid, wheelchair bound and Dungeons and Dragons fan, well played by Ira Hedden, who later on to star in Avira Mistress of the Dark. It's here Nancy first talks about Freddy and their nightmares. And one thing before I continue, for years I thought the wannabe actress in this Jennifer was played by Jennifer Tilly. She has the same haircut, the same voice. Note, Joey's teardrop tattoo has gone. Hmm, I guess the guy got better in jail then. Philip points out the fact that all these teens dreamed about Freddy before even meeting, but Dr. Sun shoots this idea down, saying their nightmares are nothing but a symptom of guilt and their hidden sexualities. Hmm. That night, Philip falls asleep and is turned into a puppet by Freddy. However, the staff, and indeed the patients, think he's just sleepwalking as Freddy puppets him around to the top of the building through a locked fire exit door. He cuts the strings, which are actually Philip's tendons, as he falls to his death. And I really wanted one of these Freddy puppets, even though I was a kid. Anyway, Will sees this and gets Joey to get help, which he does by stealing a nurse's dinner tray and slamming it into all the doors, waking everybody up, just as they see Philip diving to his death. During a date at Cradle Snatch and Much, Dr. Gordon, for God's sake, Nancy, he was about, what, 25? For fuck's sake. Dr. Gordon asks Nancy about Hypnocell. After she tries to warn him about Freddy, but he has none of it. Note the puppet turning into Freddy was done in reverse and took 36 hours to film. The next morning, after Philip's death in group, Dr. Gordon asked the group how they feel about this, his death. And how the hell do you think he was going to feel about the bloody death, you fucking idiot? Anyway, Kincaid acts like an angry hard man, saying he will survive because he's that rough, tough black guy. And Philip was a weak pussy. Mmm, still tight much. And it's here, Kirsten and Nancy bring up Freddy, saying he wants him to infight so they'll be easy prey. However, both the doctors hear none of this, saying Philip's death was a cowardly way out. Dr. Sims then tells the group she'll be locking the doors at night and sedating all the teens in order to get a good night's sleep. This pisses off Kincaid and he's sent to the quiet room. An outside group, Dr. Gordon tells Sim he's putting all the kids on hypnocell, much to her disapproval. And note, in the span of one day, Sims went from loving Nancy to hating her, and Dr. Gordon went from not trusting her into loving her. God, that was a quick turnaround in one fucking day. That night, as Kincaid sings himself awake, Jennifer is in the TV room watching Critters, a franchise I covered last March, check my archives, trying to stay awake without thinking of Freddy or Philip. Mac tries to get her to leave, however, she begs him to stay in there, saying watching TV will calm her down, and this is indeed research for her becoming an actress. Meanwhile, the sleazy cock-blocking orderly from earlier hits on Taryn as she comes out of the shower room, saying he has the keys to heaven, as he has the keys to the drug room, and he'll give her pure pharmaceutical high. She turns him down and runs off. Back with Jennifer, she tries to stay awake. By burning herself with cigarette butts, she finds in the ashtrays, but this doesn't work. As she falls asleep watching the Dick Cavett show, as he interviews Zsa Zsa Gabor. He then morphs into Freddy with the line, who gives a fuck what you think? Then the TV goes to static, and Jennifer touches the TV as Freddy's head comes out and grabs her with the line, This is it, Jennifer, your big break on TV. Welcome to prime time, bitch!
improvised by England on set, and this was the start of the bitch lines. And I've just blown out everybody's eardrums there, yay! With that, he smashes her head into the TV, killing her, and okay, how the fuck does this look like a suicide? She's about four foot eight, and the TV's about six feet off the ground. There is no chair, no stool, or nothing dragged around, even a table. It make it look like a suicide, so I guess if Freddy dropped a whole pretense then. And that is a terrible way to die. These TVs in the 80s were thick glass, about at least two inches thick. That would have been bloody murder. Moving on. Max bursts in to find her hanging body with her TV stuck with her TV stuck in the head, with her head stuck in the TV. Several days later, at one of the kids' funeral, Dr. Gordon once again sees the mysterious white nun, calling herself Amanda, played by Nancy Martin. She asks him what his faith is, he says science. Then she talks about Freddy. However, she calls herself Mary Helena, not Amanda, and Dr. Gordon talks like he's seen her many times around the hospital, helping kids, yet none of the staff know her. It's here. She tells him Freddy's soul must be laid to rest. Nancy interrupts them and pulls Dr. Gordon away from the Phantom Nun as they walk, on, walk off arm in arm. Over a candlelit dinner, Dr. Gordon asks Nancy about her dream doll. Then Nancy tells him the truth of Freddy Krueger. After he dealt himself, how can a 4 foot 8 girl smash her head into a TV six feet off the ground? Also, how can a teenager walk through locked doors? The next day, during group, Nancy hypnotises all of them and they all fall asleep. It's here they learn their dream powers. Kincaid is super strong, Will can walk and is a wizard. Taryn is a badass bitch and Kirsten gets a stunt double doing backflips. It's here also Joy wanders off to get all tongue-tied with the hot nurse who strips down to a thong, then sucks out Joy's tongue and lashes him to a bed frame before morphing into Freddy and the bed frame is over hell. Also here Nancy tells all the kids about Freddy and why he's after them that he was a child murderer and all their parents are bound together to kill him after he got away with it. This was when? The 60s, 70s? How the hell are these children? Oh, moving on. I guess that's why Nancy's mum was a lush alcoholic and Kirsten's mother was a complete whore and also why their parents divorced. And one teeny, tiny wee thing here, how comes Kirsten gets two dream powers and the rest get one? Also, what the hell is Nancy's dream power? Dr. Sim bursts into the room to find Joy in a coma and Nancy is promptly fired along with Dr. Gordon. Joy is in a deep coma so Nancy demands Freddy let him go. So Freddy scratches come get him bitch on his chest from the dream world. As Dr. Sims throws both of them under a bus, she then, then gloats about it and why the fuck was it she killed? As Dr. Gordon leaves with his stuff, he sees the white nun in the clock tower behind locked doors. And here we get Freddy's backstory that he is the bastard son of a hundred maniacs. Also, he needs to find Freddy's bones and lay him to rest once and for all. But he really must have faith, not just science. So that night, Nancy and Dr. Gordon have to hunt down Nancy's father, played by John Saxon, star of everything from Enter the Dragon to From Dust to Dawn and many, many more. He's also a black belt in karate, allegedly trained by Bruce Lee. They find him drunk in a bar and he refuses to help until Neil smacks him around a bit and boom, he's on board. Back at the hospital, Kirsten kicks off, so Sims has her sedated and shoved in a quiet room. The kids call Nancy for help, so off she goes as Neil and her dad go for Freddy's bones, stopping by a church to steal whole water and a crucifix. And I should say, Nancy's dad went from lieutenant in a police force to security guard in less than five years. 
with Nancy getting to the hospital just in the nick of time after tricking Max into letting her see the kids, she gets into Kirsten's dream just as she falls asleep and Freddy starts to attack. Like I said, this was Nancy's nightmare, not Kirsten's. This splits up the kids and meanwhile, Neil and Nancy's dad find Freddy's bones deep in a junkyard in the back of a caddy. That's Cadillac. And just as Neil goes to bury them, they come to life, Jason Argonaut style, and kill Nancy's dad, knock out Neil and half bury him. Back in dreamland, after Freddy slashes up the quiet room with feathers flying everywhere, Kirsten dreams of the start of the movie while listening to Dokken into the fire. And I swear, music video for Dokken Dream Warriors is more frightening than any nightmare. The hair metal and the bad bloody lip syncing is truly terrifying. Anyway, back to the dream. Kirsten has the same thing happen to her as it does in the start of the movie, except Freddy beheads her mother, asking, Where's the fucking bourbon, bitch? As Freddy is not wearing his iconic outfit, but is in a tuxedo. Kirsten uses her dream powers of a stunt double to get away from Freddy by diving out of a window straight into the dream house where she quickly finds Nancy and Kincaid. Meanwhile, Freddy tracks down tough girl Taryn, dressed like Michael Jackson in bad, and kills her in a sleazy back alley after she slices him with her switchblades. And what the fuck is it with the 80s and switchblades? They're almost as iconic as bad fashion for the 80s. Anyway, Freddy turns his claws into needles and overdoses Taryn. Supposedly, her head was going to explode, but they didn't have the budget for that one, so they just give her an instant overdose. On to Will, the wizard master, dressed as a bad Harry Potter cosplayer. Freddy tries to give him the chair, however, he uses his magic to blow up the wheelchair, then tries to use magic to kill Freddy. However, he doesn't believe in fairy tale kids and rips out his heart. Back with Kirsten, Nancy and Kincaid, Kincaid uses his loudmouth to shout on Freddy, so Freddy opens a door to Joey's prison. The door leads to nowhere, however, until the door is opened and it leads down to hell. And where we see Joey has been tied to bed frame over a pit to hell itself in Freddy's boiler room, in which Nancy finds out Freddy gets his power from the souls of the children he's killed. After all three save Joey from Freddy's trap, with Kirsten's stunt double kicking Freddy's ass and Nancy running him through with a rusty pole with no effect as Freddy pulls out and licks the bottom of the pole. We get to see the iconic chest of souls as they all scream when Freddy reveals them. With that he disappears to kill Nancy's dad and knock out Dr. Gordon. Returning to the group, while they're in a hall of mirrors, Freddy spreads himself out using the mirrors to pull all them in. However, Joey is in the outside and he will not be pulled into Wonderland, or in this case, not so Wonderland, as Joey finally uses the dream powers of streaming to break the group free from Freddy's grasp. Thinking they have all won, they all hug until Nancy's dad floats down from heaven to say goodbye to her. Too bad it's actually Freddy, as he rips out her heart in two. Just as in the real world, Dr. Gordon buries Freddy's bones. With his splash of holy water and a well-placed crucifix, he spins around and poof, he's gone. Kirsten dreams the dying Nancy into a wonderful beach dream. At Nancy's funeral, several days later, Neil, now with a broken arm, sees the white nun one final time, leading him to her gravestone reading Amanda Kruger. That night, Neil falls asleep with Nancy's dream doll and the paper mache house as a light shines in the upstairs room of the model as credits roll. So that was Nightmare on Street 3 Dream Warriors. What is it with the third installment? 
of a franchise and getting it just right. It happened in Goldfinger, it happened in Friday the 13th Part 3D, and now in this. This is the perfect Freddy, scary yet funny, a mean jokester. Unfortunately, they took the puns too far and they didn't up with Freddy's dead Freddy. However, I am not doing that, I'm doing Dream Warriors. The best of the franchise, apart from Jason vs Freddy. The acting is good, the effects are cheap, but this was the late 80s, so I got it par. I got it aside, even. Freddy is scary and funny, so I'm going to give this thing an 8 out of 10. And taking two off for the for the cheap hair metal and arcade's screen. So come back next week for my look at I know what you did last summer. And then the rest of the month is Batman and Robin, my guilty pleasure movie, The Mist, and also a mystery movie for my hundredth podcast coming real soon. Forget to leave a like and comment on my SoundCloud and follow me on Twitter at Here's Johnny's Pod. Email me movie suggestions to Here's Johnny's Reviews at gmail.com. Check out my other franchise podcasts of Mad Max, Star Wars, Underworld, Psycho, and more. Also, my solo podcast of Aliens, Halloween 1978, Evil Dead 2, Donnie Darko, and a many, a many more. And a bye.